Uh, I want to share a few scriptures with you this morning. If you've got your Bible, uh, we're going to be looking in the book of Acts this morning. If you've been here the past, uh, probably, I guess, four Sundays or five Sundays, we've been looking at the book of Acts. The reason we're looking at the book of Acts is because Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, everybody knows about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus coming as a baby. He lived. He, he was crucified, died on the cross, risen from the dead. And, and, and a lot of people, they understand that, but Acts picks up where Jesus left off. How many of y'all know that there's still stuff going on? Amen. Jesus is still alive. He's still working. He's still moving. He's still reaching. He's actually the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. So so the same things that were happening in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they just continued those things right into the book of Acts. So we, we've kind of gone through chronologically uh, the first four or five, six chapters of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, Jesus says, listen, don't leave uh, this city until the Holy Spirit arrives. He says, listen, whenever the Holy Spirit comes, everything's going to be different. It's actually to your advantage that I leave because the Holy Spirit is going to show up. We saw in Acts chapter 2, the arrival. The Holy Spirit comes and he just blows the roof off of everything. Signs, wonders, miracles, all the things that Jesus said that he would do. He said, he'll be your helper. He'll be your comforter. He'll be your advocate, your attorney. He's going to help you reach people. He's going to help you reach the world. He said, you'll reach Judea and Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. You'll notice during our offering for the next month, we're going to be spotlighting things locally that we're doing with our offerings, things nationally that we're doing with our offerings, but also things internationally to the utter ends of the earth that we're doing with our money. Why are we doing that? Well, because we're doing what they did in Acts. And we believe that, that things that happened in Acts, the reason we have the book of Acts is it's a pattern or it's a type of the early church. Before the book of Acts, there's a temple made with God's with man's hands and there's a high priest and he does all this but in acts we see all these different nationalities and creeds and genders and cultures coming together to follow jesus and it's the first place that we get the words christians and it's the church that jesus said that he would have and the gates of hell would not prevail against the church so acts chapter 2 the holy spirit comes last week we saw the name of jesus jesus said listen there's a day coming when and you're not going to ask anything of me, but you're going to ask the Father in my name. And once that happens, he says, in my name, you're going to have access into God's very presence. In the Old Testament, you had to use a high priest and he would go beyond the veil. And everybody else is standing there watching, wondering if it's going to go okay. But, but Jesus, he says, there's a day coming when you're going to be able to go beyond the veil by the blood of Jesus. You can go in my name directly into God's presence. In my name, you can put the devil on the run. He says, you'll be able to cast out devils in my name. In my name, you'll be able to reach people and help them. He said, you'll lay hands on the sick. They'll recover. You'll preach deliverance to the captives. You'll set at liberty those that are bruised in my name. So last week, we just saw the power of the name of Jesus. But this week, it's not as fun. The now, this week, this week is not as fun because now, because they're being effective, persecution comes. And now we're going to see the church begin to get 
persecuted. And lots of people don't like to talk about persecution, but anytime you start doing things that are effective for the kingdom of God, you can expect some level of resistance or persecution. Many times the devil doesn't really mind you going to church. He doesn't mind you lifting your hands and doing Father Abraham and left foot in and left foot out and shake it all about. You know, he doesn't mind a lot of the things that we do as Christians. But once you start finding out about your ability to get in God's presence, your ability to use his name, your ability to reach your coworkers and your family and those people around you, he doesn't like it. And that's just part of it. Jesus said, listen, they persecuted me. They're going to persecute you. They hated me. They're going to hate you. Take up your cross and follow me, that there's some level of persecution. In America, we may not experience a ton of it, but it's still there. And, and, and persecution can just come from the devil in the form of temptation. I know that I was a, a, a party guy, wasn't I? So were you. Uh, we, we were party people. Uh, whenever, whenever we got together, whenever we... Uh, first met and started dating you know we would be at the club and uh we would be uh they weren't discos we're not that old uh not that disco's old old. well i never got to disco it's old old. (laughs) jiva said it not me if you're a discoer then you can blame it on jiva she says it's old but but we came out of that atmosphere or that that lifestyle we didn't i didn't i didn't you know once i got out of high school i was gone baby i hit the roads and uh you know i got uh i went to the 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 bar scene and did the whole the whole kid and caboodle and and but when there came a point in time whenever i decided i'm gonna serve jesus i'm gonna follow the lord because the lord would just bother me in my guts he just wouldn't leave me alone. I always had to have people around me because he just wouldn't leave me alone. My mother just prayed this like cloud of annoyance from God that just would not leave me alone. So I always had to have people stay at my house. I didn't like to be alone when the lights were out and stuff because the Holy Spirit would just come and he'd start talking to me. You know, you don't need to be down here. You know, you got to do this. I got a plan for your life. And I didn't, I didn't want any of that. But there came a point to where I just couldn't stand it anymore. So I went home. I went back to my parents' house and I joined. I went to Bible college. But I was in Bible college about two or three weeks and, and people started calling. Old girl so-and-so and old friend so-and-so. People I hadn't even heard from in a while, a long time. They come calling. Why? Well, because now I'm starting to make a decision to where I'm going to serve God. I'm going to pursue Him. I'm not living like this. And the devil just kind of had left me to my own self my own vices for several years but once I started making a decision that I'm going to serve him then he's just naturally he's going to send people to try to mess me up and there had been times where I had fallen back into that I mean I ever served the Lord and then oh so and so calls and you're like man she is pretty and then you go right back, you know, and then you go back to the Lord, you know, because you get in trouble or something like that. You find Jesus, you get back in trouble, and then you, then you fall back, and then you go back. But there came a point to where I said, I ain't falling back, and, and I'm, I'm not going to stop until I do that. 
And once I made that decision, then of course the devil's going to come and try and mess, mess with people. That's just, that's just part of it. So here we have these people that have come out of Acts chapter 1. They, they've, they've, they've experienced the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. That They're figuring out some things about the name of Jesus and about their power and the blood of Jesus in Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 4. Well now, Acts chapter 5, the devil's not happy. And, and he's going to come and he's going he's to give us our first martyr. Last week we had our first miracle. This week we have our first martyr. Many of you, I'm sure, have heard of Stephen and what he, what he, got, what, what he went through. He's the first martyr that died for the cause of Christ. He's the first one. But Stephen was not some great prophet or some great apostle or some great person. Stephen was a regular type of person. He didn't have this great whatever anointing on his life. He, he, was, he was a regular guy, and his ministry was taking care of old ladies. That was his ministry. His ministry was he took care of old, elderly, widowed women. That's, that's what he did. The way that he got that ministry is because so many things are going on. In Acts chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, you see 3,000 people get saved. Then 5,000 people get saved. There's all types of people getting healed that the apostles would just walk down the road and whenever their shadow would hit somebody that was lame, that lame person would get up just from the shadow. So you can imagine there's a buzz and there's some dynamic, crazy things that are going on in Acts chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4. And because of all this craziness, the widows started to fall between the cracks. And people started complaining. They said, listen, these widows are falling between the cracks. They don't have any food. We need somebody to take care of the widows. And God gave them a plan, a strategy. So he said, well, I want you to find seven men that are full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, have a good reputation, and they have wisdom. And I want you to put those seven men over the widow ministry. That's their ministry. And their ministry is they make sure that the widows don't fall through the cracks. Because if the widows fall through the cracks, they don't get any food, and it's a problem. Now, in 2013, uh, women are very independent, you know, and they're very career-oriented. But back then, if you were a widow, you, you were dependent upon your husband or your oldest son and if you didn't have them in your life you didn't eat there was no well I'm gonna be a career woman that wasn't like that so these widows needed somebody and Stephen was one of those men he fed the widows that's what he did but after a couple of years of serving the widows he started growing in his own understanding and, and I want to mention this, that I don't want any person to ever demean your assignment in the body of Christ. You may have a temporary assignment of walking over to that person and inviting them to church. That's about a 10-second assignment. You may have a one-month or a two-month assignment. You may have a lifelong assignment. My wife and I, our assignment to pastor this church, it'll die with us. Or our assignment will end whenever we die. You know, and somebody else will take it over or whatever. This is an assignment for our life. But whatever your assignment is, if it's making muffins or if it's helping in children's church or if it's taking care of old school on Monday night, whatever it is that, that, that God is allowing you to help with, don't demean it. Because this man took care of widows and yet we're talking about him 2,000 years later and I can't wait to meet him. I can't wait to get to heaven and meet Mr. Widow Taker Care of because he's just bad to the bone. I mean, you're going to find out here in just a second. 
I mean, he's not your regular widow guy. But just because he started there, the, Bible, the Lord just kind of said it to me. He said, uh, in St Stephen was just faithful with his assignment, and he increased in wisdom and knowledge and understanding. So I want to start in Acts chapter 6 this morning, and we're going to start in verse number 1, and we're going to look at Stephen. I encourage you to use your imagination this morning. In Acts, I just like to use my God-given imagination and try to put myself there at that moment. Because if you grew up in Sunday school, you maybe heard about Stephen nine times and you did the flannel board or you watched the little cartoon. But I want to encourage you just to just allow yourself to go there this morning. Acts chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint with the Hebrews by the Hellenists. A Hellenist is just a Greek-speaking Jew. So some Jews start complaining because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution, distribution of food. So the twelve apostles summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables or to serve these widow women. Therefore, seek out from among you seven men. And this is the qualifications to take care of these widows. He says, you need seven men that have a good reputation. I mean, I think your reputation counts. Yeah. Absolutely. He says, and they need to be full of the Holy Spirit, and they need to be full of wisdom. Even though they're just handing out foods, we don't want any dodos. Yeah. Okay. Right? <laughs> don't want any idiots. We want some people that have some wisdom about them so that we can appoint them over this business. It's interesting here. That's the first time in the book of Acts that, that business and church stuff is mentioned. So, so there's an aspect of the church that needs to be run correctly. In verse 4 it says, but it, it, so that we can give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude and they chose Stephen. Why? Well, it says because he was a man that was full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And they chose Philip and Pocahontas. Just kidding. Prochorus. He was a singer. Prochorus. Uh, <laughs> Nicorette, Timon, uh, Par not, not Nicorette, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. Another doctrine of the church here in Acts, that they put their hands on these seven men and prayed for them for God's wisdom, his understanding, uh, the Holy Spirit to be upon them, be with them for this business of taking care of these ladies. And it says, because of Stephen being in his assignment, the word of God spread. He said, yeah, he's just talking, he's just taking care of widow people. It doesn't matter. He says, no, once these seven people got in their place, the word of God began to spread and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. So things are going, going quite well for Stephen here. He's working, he's helping, he's taking care of these elderly ladies. But after a year or two, the Bible says that Stephen begins his own um, ministry of signs and wonders and miracles. And the, it actually says a few verses later that when people looked at Stephen, his face shone like an angel. So, I mean, some dynamic things started to happen to him. But now we're going to see, if you skip over to chapter 7, we're going to see what happens to him. 
our first martyr in, seven, in, in chapter 7, verse 51. This is Stephen, and he's talking to a bunch of religious people. I mean, I know sometimes that religious people can be the worst persecutors. I mean, I know sometimes your family members can be really bad persecutors. That, that you may be in one denomination your whole life, but on the inside you say, yeah, but I'm not getting fed there anymore, so now I want to get fed here. And you can get persecution from even your mom or your dad or your grandma or your grandpa or your aunts or your uncles. You can get persecution at school or from, from your friends or your coworkers. That There's lots of different ways that persecution can come. Well, here Stephen is going to get persecuted by people in the church. Good people that love God, they're going to give Stephen a hard time. But Stephen ain't scared. He is not afraid. Let's look at what Stephen tells these people in verse 51. He says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in your heart and ears. Isn't that a low blow? You have uncircumcised ears. I just think that's so hilarious. <laughs> oh, yeah, we well, have uncircumcised ears. Just kidding. He gets on him. He says, your heart is uncircumcised. Your ears are uncircumcised. And why? He says, you always resist the Holy Spirit. You can resist the Holy Spirit if you aren't interested in Him. He says, the same as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, or Jesus, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers. You have received the law by the direction of angels, and you have not kept it. Verse 54, he says, And when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. If you remember last week or week before, we talked about one of the things that the Holy Spirit does is He convicts people. That whenever people are doing something that they shouldn't be doing, the Holy Spirit will come and He'll prick your heart. And once He does that, you have a choice. You can either make the adjustment or you can not make the adjustment. And here, the Holy Spirit pricks them in their heart because they know that He's speaking the truth. That, that Jesus, they, they killed Him, they crucified Him. They're resisting the Holy Spirit. But Rather than take the correction and go on, let's see what they do. It actually says that they start to gnash at him with their teeth. Have you ever gnashed at somebody with your teeth before? Don't raise your hand. Actually, uh, my wife got on to me last night, and I wasn't really gnashing at this person's teeth, I mean with my teeth, but they were going 20 in a 35. And that is just way too slow. I mean, 35 is slow enough. I mean, you can go 40 and get away with it. But when you're going 20, I mean, I'm just like, oh my gosh, I wish this person would get off the road. My goodness. You could, you could, uh, I was not at the level that they're at, but I'm sure we all know that they're gnashing their teeth at this man and they're getting hot. They're getting mad at him. But it says that he was full of the Holy Spirit. He gazed into heaven. And he saw the glory of God. I, I love this here. If you can just let your, let your mind go. That this man is, is preaching and teaching to them. And they have an opportunity to change. But rather than change, they get even madder at him. And, and they're getting full of rage. And he knows that it's about to go south real fast. That things are not about to be good for him. But God opens his eyes and opens his understanding, and now he actually opens up heaven for Stephen. How I many I wish you were there? God, boy, I wish I was there. I mean, I wonder what that looked like. That all of a sudden, heaven opens. 
And, and what does he see once heaven opens? Well, it says that Stephen looks up and he sees the glory of God. What does that mean, the glory of God? Well, we know in the Old Testament that Moses asked God. He said, God, show me your glory. I want to see your glory. And that word glory in the Hebrew, it just means kabod, or it means heavy. It means weighted. And actually, the definition of it is wealth, commerce, majesty, splendor, and might is what that word glory is. And Moses asked God, he said, God, show me your wealth, commerce, majesty, splendor, and might. I want to see your glory. And, and God says, I can't show you my glory. He says, no man looks on me and lives. It's impossible for a person to look at me and actually live because I'm so heavy. Heavy G, you know, is the little slide that, that we made for the name of the service. Uh, it's heavy G because whenever heavy comes in the room, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit would come in the temple in the Old Testament and that the, 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 the weight of God would make it to where the ministers couldn't even stand to minister. That when heavy G came in the room, baby. They just couldn't stand up anymore. That They would just have to go down. Why? Because heavy just walked in. And, and Moses is saying, God, I want to see heavy. Show me your, show me your kabod. Show me your heavy. And God says, Moses, nobody, you, you're what you're asking for. If I gave it to you, you would drop dead. Nobody can look at me and experience my heavy and live. But he said, what I'll do is he says, I'll let all my goodness pass in front of you. He says, I'm going to set you upon a rock. And he said, I'm actually going to carve out a, a chunk in this mountain, whenever they're standing on this mountain. He says, I'm going to put you in that rock. And he says, I'm going to walk by and I'm going to allow you to look at my back parts. I'm going to show you my butt. Basically, he says, You're, that's the only part you can handle is the back of me because if you see the front of me, you'll be dead. So that's what he did. The Bible says that God did that, that he took and carved a place out for Moses and he put Moses in there and he allowed his goodness to pass by and all Moses could see was his backward parts. That's all that he could see. And all of his goodness came came. And that's what he got to experience was that. Well, Stephen here is one of the only people in history that actually gets to see the glory of God. That, that God here is not turned around backwards. Why? Well, because Moses, uh, he had to be put in a fake rock. But we know that Jesus is the real rock and that he is the rock of ages and that we've been carved, that, that actually they carved a hole in Jesus. And now that we are in Christ Jesus, that we've been crucified with Christ, now that we've been put inside of him, we can actually allow the glory of God. We can enter into God's presence and we can experience his goodness, his, his wealth, his commerce, his, his favor, all of the heavy that he is. We get to experience what Moses could not experience. And I'm sure everybody that's there, they're very familiar with Moses. They're very familiar with that story. And they're very familiar with the fact that no man gets to look at God and live. And yet Stephen is gazing into heaven and he says, that's the glory of God. The thing that Moses couldn't see, 
I get to take it all in right now. The next thing that he sees is he says he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Listen, all throughout the Bible, in the New Testament, Jesus is sitting. Ephesians, Colossians, Hebrews, Hebrews again. Jesus is always sitting at the right hand of God. The Bible says that Jesus, he took his blood, his precious, spotless blood. He died on the cross. He went up to heaven. He entered into the Holy of Holies and he took his blood and he put it on the real throne, the real mercy seat. In the Old Testament, they would go behind a veil and there was a wooden box that they overlaid in gold and that had God's presence in it and they'd take the blood from, from a pigeon or a donkey or a cow and the high priest would put the blood on that box. But now Jesus took his real blood in the real throne and, and he put it there. And then it says he sat down. Jesus said, my work here is through. Boom. In other words, no more will we have to kill animals. We don't have to do all that. Peter should be thrilled. No more killing of animals. Now I've taken my blood and it says that he sat down. In the Old Testament, you weren't allowed to sit down. None of the high priests were allowed to go in there, put some dove blood, some donkey blood in there, and then start eating bread and lay back, put their feet up and hang out. No, if you're a high priest, you weren't allowed to sit down. If you sat down, you probably died. You can't sit down in the, in the old. It was disrespectful. But Jesus said, I'm finished. I've done all that I'm going to do. And he sat down. But here, Stephen sees Jesus standing up. What is Jesus doing there? I believe Jesus has just given him a standing ovation. Yeah. That all of heaven, all of the angels are standing up and they're witnessing the first martyr. They're witnessing that first person that says, I'll give it all, I'll lay it all down. They can stab me, burn me, kill me, cut my head off, shoot me. I don't care what they do. Yeah. And Stephen, uh, Jesus lifts up off of his throne and looks over the banisters of heaven and sees Stephen there. Let's see what happens next. So he looks up and what Stephen say, verse 56. He says, look, I see the heavens open. The Son of Man is standing at the right hand of God. How many of y'all like to see that? Lord, rewind that. Let's play that again. Can't wait. Can't wait to see it. Verse 57, it says, and the people cried out with a loud voice. They stopped their ears and they ran at him with one accord. What are they doing? Well, they're about to lay hands on him. Right? They're, about to, they're about to get physical. Verse, verse 58 says, And they cast him out of the city, and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their cloths at the feet of a young man named Saul. Next week, man, we're going we're gonna to hit Saul, who becomes the Apostle Paul. Verse 59, it says, And they stoned Stephen, as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. I mean, I think, I bet he was ready to go. Yeah. I mean, don't you just know he's ready to go? I mean, they've drug him out of the city, probably by his hair, his beard, his clothes, his sandals. I mean, and I'm sure the whole time they're dragging him, they're letting him have it. Finally, they get him outside the city and they're throwing these rocks, just stoning him to death. I mean, I don't know. We don't see a whole lot of stoning in 2013, but it's got to be a miserable way to die just to be surrounded by people and they throw rocks at you till you die. 
but finally uh, he's just getting stoned to death and finally he just says Lord Jesus I see you you're ready for me and I'm coming home and the, the last verse here it says and then he knelt down and he cried out with a loud voice Lord do not charge them with this sin Isn't that interesting what an interesting thing to say I'd be like, Lord Jesus, zap them all. Come on, if you're, you're going to take me out of here, let's do it with some lightning or something, chariots, some, something, horsemen or something. Man, let's just wipe them out. Let's just go. But he says the same thing that Jesus said. How many of y'all know that the ultimate martyr, the ultimate dyer for us, greater love hath no man than that he lay down his life for his friends. Jesus, the, the first, the ultimate life giver, whenever he's hanging on the cross, what's he tell God? He says, God, forgive them. They don't understand or they don't know what they're doing. And here, Stephen, the same thing, he must see the love of God. He must see Jesus and he must say, say man, they don't have a clue. They have no clue, and, and God, just don't hold this against them. Give them another chance to find you. Give them another opportunity to meet you. Let them see what I see at this moment. Don't hold this charge against them. Boy, I mean, I think we can learn a lot from Stephen. Last thing it says, and then when he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. Our first martyr comes through the persecution of people. Well, what's that mean? Listen, listen, anytime you do something great for God or anytime you start moving that direction, there's some level of, or amount of stuff that you can expect to happen, whether it comes from your friends or your family or, or just your own, just the Holy Spirit. He'll actually bring correction to you because he knows he's trying to get you to a place. Well, I want to give you, I want to take, I want you to take away just these four things from Stephen. If you've got your paper there, you can kind of uh, write them in and then I'll close. Man, next week I can't wait to get into Paul. Praise God. I don't go looking for fights. You know, I don't think persecution means that you go looking or you go picketing. I mean, I know people picket. You know, they go picketing, you know, God hates this or God hates that or, or you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not saying that you need to go looking for things, but I'm saying if persecution comes, whether it's from your friends or family or whatever, come on, I think we can learn from Stephen that there's, praise God, that he, he sees what we're going through. And man, don't you just want to make Jesus stand up sometimes? That's over just gives all the thrones like, man, I got to see this. Four things I want you to take away. Number one is I want you to take away the fact that you're a child of God. The devil knows that he can't hurt God. He can't hurt God. You know, there's nothing that the devil could do to hurt God. The Bible says that God spoiled him. He spoiled, I mean, he ruined the devil, was ruined by Jesus. But the way that he hurts God is by hurting his kids. Listen, you can beat me, stone me, shoot me, stab me, burn me, skin me like a squirrel, but don't mess with my kids, right? If you really want to hurt me, go after Noble, go after Ansley, or go after my wife. I mean, if, that, if you really, just this last week, man, we saw some little girl that got abducted. I think she was only, man, I don't know how old she is, four or five or something, and this father's desperately trying to, uh, to get her back and then I had a nightmare like that night 
that my own kid was taken. And I just wake up in the middle of the night just like, oh my God, the worst feeling in the world as a parent is for your kids to be uh, taken or harmed or, or in this particular little girl been beaten and stuff. Just as a parent, that's the worst you could experience. So the devil, he wants to give God the worst. And the way that he gives God the worst is by going after us. So if you ever feel like, I don't, I don't, you know, God doesn't care about me or I'm not worthy or I'm not this or I'm not that. Listen, he, he's enamored with you. I mean, whether you ever acknowledge it or not, he looks, he, he's fascinated and, and totally tender loving, the Bible says, towards you, that, that, he, that you're everything to him, just like my own kids would be to me. That's how he is. So the devil, the reason that he comes after us is because he wants after the heart of God. That's what he wants. He wants to pierce God's heart, and he knows the number one way to do it is just come and huddle. Bam, and I can't, if I'll never get to God. He's already whipped my behind up and down the street, backwards, forwards. He, he's going to put me in the lake of fire for a thousand years. I'll never get at him, but I'll get at his kids. Number one, you're a child of God. Number two, don't demean or don't think, uh, 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 don't think that your assignment isn't significant. That whatever your assignment is, whatever God has for you, whether it's a temporary assignment or a long-term assignment, every one of them is valuable. And every one of them is a key to what happened with him was the gospel spread. Disciples multiplied. Things happened whenever these men got in their place. So whatever your place is, believe God that things happen when you get there. Third thing is, is don't be afraid to ask God to show you his glory. Come on, I believe you could wake up every day and say, God, I want you to show me your goodness. Show me your glory. I want to experience heavy. Because, listen, it's hard to, to convey to people how awesome he is yeah. if you've never experienced how awesome he is. So don't be afraid to be like Moses and say, God, I want you to show me heaven. You know, we in 2013, we can, just with the Hubble telescope, We've been able to see things that people have never seen before on the planet. I mean, now they're retiring Hubble. But if you've ever looked at any of those books, the things that that telescope has seen, the galaxies that you could never see. And yet Moses, thousands of years ago, he realized that there are things, there's, there's, there's planets that, that telescopes will never see. God's got things that we'll never discover. There, there's, there's building blocks that our microscopes will never experience. Why? Because he's just, he's just awesome. I mean, there's things, the Bible says that the angels fly around God's throne. And every time they circle his throne, they see something that they didn't see before. How long have they been flying around his throne? For eternity, baby. And every time they hit that sucker again, they're like, I've never seen that about God before. They come back around, they're like, Man, I've never seen that before. Have you ever seen that? And they do that over and over. And sometimes we feel like that we've experienced it all. No, don't be afraid to say, God, show me your kebab. Just show me heavy G. I want to see something I haven't seen before. The last one is, is don't take persecution personally. Stephen, he didn't take it personally. He said, you know what? They're not after me. They're after my future. They're, they're not really after my body. They're after my potential. So you really can't take 
that personally you just got to take, have the attitude that he had, which is, listen, you may destroy me, but I'm going home. I'm going home. He's waiting for me. Praise God. Those